Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association Director of Government Affairs. And joining me today from the Orla team is Sarah Shank, Communications Coordinator, or as she is more commonly referred to as the Social Media Queen here. So, Hey there. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Today we have a great interview. We're going to get into the Oregon Saves Retirement Plan with Joel Metlin from the Oregon State Treasury. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your Orla membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit that you may or may not be aware of. Did you know that members get 10% off Snagajob's full suite of hiring software and solutions? Snagajob is America's number one hourly marketplace. They focus on creating instant and quality connections so workers can get jobs and employers can hire workers in minutes. To learn more about Snagajob's hourly hiring solutions for Orla members, please visit connect.snagajob.com backslash Orla. If you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of the numerous benefits that we offer. And now, I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Joel Metlin, Public Engagement Manager for Oregon Saves at the Oregon State Treasury. Welcome, Joel. Well, thank you for having me on. Appreciate you being here. Um, we're going to jump right into it and talk about Oregon Saves. What exactly is Oregon Saves? Well, Oregon Saves is a program that's pretty new with Treasury. And the real goal here is to fill a gap that uh, currently exists for a lot of businesses and a lot of employees um, not just in Oregon, but in, in nationally, there's about a million Oregonians who don't have access to a retirement savings plan at work. And that's out of 1.8 million workers in total. So that's actually a majority. And other states are similar. Um, we have a slightly higher percentage here in, in Oregon, but it's, it's working out to, you know, around half the workforce uh, doesn't have access to a retirement plan at work. And that really matters because we know that folks are 15 times more likely to save if they have that option available. Um, you do it with every paycheck. You do it. You don't even have to think about it, right, when you have that workplace plan. So what we're trying to do with this program is to fill that gap, to provide something for those million Oregonians who don't have that access. So Oregon Saves is a, is a program. It's facilitated by employers, meaning that the employer, you know, enters people into the program, does payroll deductions for them every pay period, but it's sponsored by the state. The state's the one that's offering the plan, making it available so that uh, all of those employees have a way to save through their paychecks just like everybody else. And so that there's um, sort of everyone has that option in Oregon. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. You know, it's voluntary for employees, but we try to make it super easy for them to do so and to keep saving because, you know, every paycheck, every time you save really matters in, in the long run. And the savings debt in this country is pretty astronomical. You know, it's in the trillions of dollars in terms of how much people need to save versus what they've actually been saving. Sure, that gap. Yeah, we all know somebody, right, who has um, not saved enough. Or and, several somebody's. Or ourselves, right? Sure. So, yes, you can go out right now and get yourself an IRA. You can set it up through your bank account, have it automatically deduct, but most people don't. And that's because there's a number of burdens, right, that they're facing. You have to go out and do it, right? You have to trust that you know what you're doing. You have to trust whoever you're working with, you know, financial advisor and a financial institution. Most people don't do that. Uh, most people also think that they can't afford to save. But the fact is that most of us can at least save something, 
even if it's not a lot. And just saving a little really makes a difference, especially with compounding interest over time. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So, uh, I'm, I mean, I know for myself, starting earlier is better. Uh, if you can get in the habit, not only do you not miss it as much, but also, as you mentioned, the compounding interest helps to make that grow at a, at a quicker rate. And so I would, I would guess that you're encouraging people to start early. Right. That's the idea. Um, we had actually an employee in the program who's part of the initial pilot that started this summer. And she said that, you know, we were all worried about what it was going to lo- look like when we got that first deduction from our paychecks because the standard savings rate in this program is 5% of your gross pay. And they're all they're over worried. What is that going to feel like to have 5% taken out? Am I really going to miss it? And they said they didn't. They said, actually, it was a, a pretty easy to um, just handle. It didn't, didn't feel like a lot of money at all. We've had folks start at 1%. That's the lowest you can start. Um, clearly just want to try and see, check it out, see what happens. Can they afford it? And go up from there, right? Start at 1%, saw that and that was nothing, right? Go up a little bit more, a little bit more. Uh, most people stay at the 5%, and that's, that's good news. That means that we picked a good starting rate because mm-hmm. if people were all dropping, we'd worry that we set the default a little too high. But we find that... Um, we chose 5% specifically because in private industry, um, from research that's been done there, it suggests that anywhere between 3 and 10%, you're not going to see a, a big difference in participation. Um, so we thought 5% makes sense, right? It's probably not as much as you need to say, but it's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. And as people get used to it, hopefully you know, they're encouraged to save more each year. And this program actually includes... Um, automatic escalation. So every year, if you, unless you opt out of the auto escalation, you'll go up by 1% until you uh, top out at 10%. You can even go higher than 10% if you want, but we stopped the auto escalation at 10%. And it's really interesting now that we've had um, seven months or so of savings to see what people are doing. You know, like I said, some people are starting low and then going up. Some people are starting higher and then going down. I saw one person uh, went down around the holidays and then went back up afterwards, <laughs> right? Because they need money to pay for sure. gifts. Sure. Um, and then we have other people that are clearly nearing retirement age, and they're trying to max out their contributions. We've had a, a out of a you know, there's a couple thousand people in the program now, but there's been two or three who have been saving a hundred percent of their available income, wow. and it's been going to their retirement. They want to max out that contribution again, saving as early as possible. Get the money in there, sure. Get it earning interest, um, and then they can stop it at once it reaches the contribution limit. Because uh, these are IRAs, they have limits set by the federal government. But anyway, it's it's really fascinating to see what people are doing. Most people just stick with the easy, the automatic path, and that's the way the program's designed. Really, is let's, let's make it easy and automatic, and but have choice. Right, you can choose to opt out. You can choose to save at a different rate. Right, you can choose uh, different than the standard investment. It's just the choices are available. We know most people, they just want to set it and forget about it, right? So that's what we've done with this program. And hopefully what this does is it, in the long run, um, it makes saving just something that we do here in Oregon that is just part of the fabric of you go to work and you save for retirement. And that would be wonderful because that is really going to help everybody that's involved, right? It's going to help the individual, obviously, the most. It also helps employers because when you have employees that have savings that have less financial related stress, they're more productive. And then um, hopefully for us, 
as the state and as taxpayers in the long run, what that does is it means less people are retiring into poverty. It means less social services right. that are needed. Um, we're constantly worried about the budget state level, right? And what are the drivers of that? Well, one of the main ones is um, Medicaid costs. Yeah. Right. So we've actually had uh, a study, I don't remember who it was done by, to look at all the states and what they're doing in the retirement space and how much money it can save. And and looking at Oregon alone, there was millions of dollars could be saved in, in a short amount of time, 10 or 15 years, just by helping people get out of that poverty level, especially when they're getting nearing retirement, um, so that they can be more self-supporting and obviously have a happier retirement doing the sort of things that they want to do and not have to make such tough decisions about food, medication, housing, sure. et cetera. Yeah. Is this a program? Is it first of its kind, is Oregon doing this, or is there anything else out the there like this? The first of its kind to go live in the United States. There are other very similar programs in other countries that have been up and running for quite a while. So the United Kingdom has a program called Nest. It basically looks like this, except it's nationwide. So it's much larger in scale than, <laughs> than Oregon, right? For, with our, our measly 4 million people we have here. And it's been really interesting to talk with those folks. We've been in um, pretty constant communication with the folks in the UK, learning lessons from them. You know, How do you reach employers? How do you make it easy for employers? What happens with employee take up? What happens after 10 years? What, ha have you really made any leadway with what your original goals were? Uh, there's a similar program in New Zealand. It's called Kiwi Saver, I believe. Very cute, nice, like yeah. everything in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and that they they've done something similar. Um, all of them are a little bit different from each other. Ours is is really sort of a, we want to we want to create a basic savings vehicle for for folks. So it's different from the UK program that there's no employer match. We're not requiring employers to contribute. We're starting at a higher rate. Again, we're starting at five percent. They're starting at everybody at one percent. Mm, so it's a pretty minimal yeah. uh, ask of folks. And that actually, you know, you see that reflected in how many people are participating in that program. Uh, the UK has something like seven or eight percent opt out rate. So almost everybody is is in. And why not, right? If especially if there's a, a match going on, you're leaving money on the table if you're right. not participating. What does that opt out rate look like in Oregon so far? Off the top of your head, if yeah. You that one. This is this is the numbers change daily because we're rolling it out. But you know we've had two pilots going on since the summer, and those have sort of evened out in terms of participation rates and what people are doing. So we can pretty confidently say that we have about a thirty percent or maybe twenty eight percent opt out rate. So that means seventy percent of, of people are staying in, right? And that's been pretty consistent. So those employers um, that have been in the pilot, there's 53 of them, and they really range in terms of industries across the board. We're not we're not talking about a you know like it's not very monoculture. They're in different parts of the state. There's <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> there's um, uh, hotels. There's hairdressers. There's sheet metal workers. Very different um, industries. Usually, uh, folks that are that are in in business that doesn't normally have retirement benefits available, um, and so we're we're actually very surprised and happy about the fact that seventy percent have stayed in, and that that seems to be consistent even as these businesses hire new folks. You know, it, a lot of them they've already um, 
done a lot of turnover. There's a couple of staffing companies in there where you have constant turnover, right? You have 150 people coming on each week and 150 people leaving. So we've seen a pretty steady rate of people participating. And that's that's in line with what our projections were. Um, And the great news, I think, about it is that most of those are first-time savers. So we know that we're making the difference where we really wanted to, which is folks who haven't been saving, especially um, there's a there's like a hairdresser in Multnomah Village where he has um, 20 to 30 people on staff, and the average age is like 25, and none of them had really been saving for retirement, maybe one or two. Sure. There's always the go-getters. But the rest, it's the first time they're doing it, and and that's amazing because they're getting that start so early. Uh, I think we took a look at the numbers two weeks ago, and it was 54% of the people in the program are 18 to 35. So we have the majority are young, um, but we have people all the way up to their 80s in the program. And what's interesting is on the, the opposite end of the curve, in terms of the percentage of dollars saved, the older folks have saved more, but there's less of them. And, and you can see that that's, you know, I'm getting closer to retirement. I'm going to really try to put in as much as I can now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So for employers who aren't currently offering a retirement plan to their employees, it's going to be mandatory for them to offer this. Um, and when does that take effect? Because I know you have kind of a, a phase in of, of deadlines that are coming up based on employer size. Right. We're phasing it in over a couple of years, um, and we made that decision because we we don't want to try to serve a million Oregonians all at once. We want to do it in a thoughtful and deliberate way that breaks it up, make sure that we have the capacity to serve people, and we can really have that hand-holding and one-on-one approach, which I think people appreciate, especially with a new program where we're still learning how to do this correctly and, um, you know, Employers and employees have to get familiar with it, learn how to use it, etc. So we started uh, this fall with the largest employers, so those with 100 or more employees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're in the process now of facilitating. They have to register, they have to add their employees, and then they have to start payroll deductions. And every business is sort of on their own schedule for that, and that's fine. We just want to make sure that everybody's getting through the steps. Um, and has the support they need from our end. The next wave will be for those employers with 50 or more employees, and that deadline is going to be on May 15th. They should have already received a notice from us just to say, hey, this is coming, and they can come to us at any time between now and then and get signed up and started, or they can wait till (laughs) the very last moment. All right. Um, we, we are going to need some help, you know, reaching folks. And that's part of why we're doing the podcast. That's why we have, um, a couple of field reps out across Oregon, going to every chamber of commerce, every rotary club. We're, we're literally anywhere that will allow us in the door. We go and try to do a presentation, answer questions for folks, just get them aware of the program. So they have time to think about it because, you know, the, the, What's mandatory is that there be a retirement savings option at the workplace. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want to do Oregon Saves as an employer, you can go out and get an employer-sponsored plan instead. And so that's why we're trying to notify people with plenty of time so that they can make a decision. They can say, you know, I've been thinking about offering a 401k. Now I guess I'll just go do it. And we've had, I don't know what the percentage is, but I can think of 
13 or 14 different companies that I've been in contact with where they made it made that choice um, in this first wave to go out and get their own plan. And that's great. Our goal is that everybody has that option at work. And if they choose to do it through a 401k, that's wonderful for the employees, in our opinion, because you know you have higher contribution limits in a 401k. You can do matching. And again, like that's great for the employee, and that's what we want. More sure. people saving. Yeah. So the, the rest of the rollout will take place over the next two years. But the good news is, is if folks want to join early, they can. Employers can just give us a call. We'll give them their access code that they need for the website. They can sign up now and help their employees start saving. And for us, that's really important because, again, the sooner people start saving, the better it is for them in the long run. So for employers that aren't currently offering a retirement plan, um, let's say that they are in that deadline, they have to offer the Oregon Saves, and then a few months later they decide, you know, we would like to offer a retirement plan. How does that impact them? How does it impact the employee? Um, Do they stop doing the Oregon Saves plan because they've got people on their own, or how how does that all work? Yeah, if they decide to stop doing Oregon Saves, that's perfectly fine if they want to offer their own plan. The employees will continue to have their Oregon Saves IRA. It's an IRA. It's in their name. It's their money, their account, and they could choose to do with it whatever they want. So they could keep it, just let it grow. They could um, move that money into a different IRA, right? And they could take it out of Oregon Saves if they think get a better deal somewhere else. That's fine. They could close it, take all their money out, um, whatever they want to do. And they can even continue to contribute through uh, their bank account, right? They could set up that automatic deduction through there instead. The employer is no longer required to facilitate, so um, they won't have that money coming out of their paycheck. In the future, uh, we will add functionality so that employers can set up um, Oregon Saves just as a regular payroll deduction for folks. So a good example of that is, you know, you have a large employer that offers a retirement plan, but only to certain classes of employees. Um, so you can have, in some of these cases, where actually the majority of employees aren't eligible for the employer's plan. And we've had a number of large employers actually ask, can we do organ saves in addition to the plan that we're offering? And they won't be able to facilitate it in the same way, you know, through automatic enrollment and such. Right. Um, because we're, we're trying to avoid it being an employer plan, it should just be an IRA, a payroll deduction IRA. But they could set it up just as you can do a payroll deduction IRA now through your through your business. So they could do that for any employees who want to opt in at that point. So it, it would function a little bit differently, but it could be a good savings option for those employees who can't participate in the employer plan. So I was perusing the site a bit, and it seems really intuitive. Like you have the, the employer guidebook on there, the handbook to talk you through everything. Um, there's the overview video as well. Um, yeah. So can you touch on what are, in case anybody, any employers are hearing this and they're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is coming up. I'm stressed out about it. Like what can you tell us a bit about what the responsibilities are for employers and then some things that they aren't responsible for things that sure. mollify those fears there? Well, this isn't very important because what we run into a lot is that people either haven't heard anything about it and so they're starting from scratch, or they've heard something that may not be accurate. So it's good to let you know exactly what employers do need to do versus don't need to do. The basic functions that an employer does is is registering, right? Telling us, I don't offer my own plan, so I need to facilitate Oregon Saves. The next step is adding employees, because once you add the employees, we take over. 
we contact the employees. We say, here's this opportunity. Um, here's what it means. We provide notice to those employees. At that point, we like it when employers also provide additional materials so that employees are getting it from more than one angle, just in case we have a bad email address or a bad mailing address or or if somebody thinks it's spam. You know, we're trying our hardest to make it not look like spam, but <laughs> right. it still goes in that folder or people just delete it because it's new. They haven't heard of it. So we want to make sure that the employee has the information that they need to make a decision about participating or not. And then uh, at the end of the enrollment period, so some employees have 30 days after they receive their notice to decide if they want to participate, after which if they haven't opted out, they're automatically enrolled. So at that point, and the employer should start payroll deductions for those who are enrolled. And, you know, how that works is going to differ employer to employer. For some, it's going to mean they do it all, right? They're going to uh, figure out how much to deduct from each person based on their percentage. And then they're going to remit that, send us a check, right? Or ACH is the, the more modern version right. of it. Um, remit those funds to us so that we can attribute it to employees' accounts. But at other employers, you may use an external payroll provider. They may do portions or all of that process. It really matters on your relationship with your payroll provider. So we have some where literally the employer just has the payroll provider do all of it. And so the the employer, the uh, payroll provider calculates the percentage, sends us the information on who's getting how much money, and then sends us the money. So those are the basic responsibilities. Um, employers really aren't responsible for... Um, tracking people down to say, hey, did you, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Are you really sure? Are you really sure? We, we don't want that. You know, just, just let the process work the way it's been designed. We have a very low percentage of people who get accidentally enrolled. So, I mean, it's not really accidental, but, you know, the number of people who um, get enrolled, make a contribution, and then are like, oh, I didn't want to do this and take their money out, it's only 2% of employees at this point. So most people are getting the notice and making a decision before that that happens. And the good news is is that it's a small number and it's really easy to get your money back out. These are The funds go into an, a, a Roth IRA, which is post-tax. So when you take your money out, there's no taxes. There's no early withdrawal penalty for anything you put in. So people can get their money back. It goes the first thousand dollars goes into a capital preservation fund, which is a little bit insulated from the marketplace, so you shouldn't lose your money again. And 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 then you, we can even process those requests in the same day. So people should be able to get their money back out super easy. So if they decide it's not for them, that's fine. Um, and again, it doesn't happen that often. I know a lot of employers worry about the 20 people lining up at their office the first time there's a payroll deduction being like, where's my money? We haven't seen that. We've heard a lot of worry about it, but it hasn't actually panned out in terms of what's happening in the, the workplace. So with regards to that, uh, because it would strike me that if if I wasn't somebody who was used to saving for retirement, right? If I didn't already have a retirement savings plan on my own, regardless of my employer, and then I'm putting money into or having money taken out of my paycheck and it goes into a, a Roth IRA, but I can take it out. If there's no penalty or, or little penalty, what's to stop me from just constantly using that as my own personal piggy bank? I mean, whether it's for an emergency, you know, medical visit, uh, dental visit, something like that, or whether it's just because there's a sale on ATVs at the county fair and I want to mm-hmm. get one this year. Uh, what's I mean, what's to prevent employees from pulling that money out early? I mean, that's a good point, and that's one of the things that we had to think about when designing the program is how hard do you make it for people to get the money back out. And for us, most people that are in the program 
are medium to low income. And we didn't want to create too many barriers to people accessing their money, especially if they need it in an emergency. So basically, it's just like any other Roth IRA. You could do this with any Roth IRA you, you opened, right? You can take your contributions out without um, tax or penalty. So we didn't want to add additional barriers. And the fact is, is that I think we made the right decision because um, we haven't seen a ton of withdrawals from the program. The We're just under a million dollars saved. Um, as of this week, and I think there's been um, only 3% of savers have made a withdrawal of any kind, and the total withdrawals are something like $38,000, so a pretty small amount out of a million um, has actually been withdrawn. So most people are treating it like a long-term savings vehicle, and that's exactly what we want, and there will always be leakage, uh, but at this point, it doesn't seem to be a significant issue. But that'll be one of the things over time that you're tracking to to see where those numbers fall, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we're doing in this program is is we made a set of decisions based on best practice, on research, and what we think would work best for the population we're trying to serve. And as we roll this out, though, we know that this is a new program. So for a lot of these folks, it's going to be the first time they saved. And so... We're going to be monitoring every portion of this program as we go and trying to make decisions about how can we improve it, what can we do to make sure that we're actually reaching the goals that we set out at the very beginning. So, you know, actually with every single employer that completes the process of registering, enrolling employees, starting payroll deductions, I I contact them each individually and ask them, did it work well? <laughs> what didn't work well? And what can we improve? And I'm taking all that feedback. We compile it. We literally have a running spreadsheet that we're looking at. How can we make this better on for both the employers and the employees so that it's not just a static program we put out there and say, okay, now there's this thing. Now deal with it. It's, it's this thing that is continually being improved to better serve um, all of the folks involved. Because again, we want it, our goal is to make it easy on the employer side super easy on the employee side with with the ultimate goal that it's not just increasing access to retirement savings, but outcomes, mm -hmm. right? So it's great that now you have an easy way to save, but what we really want is you to have saved a lot of money <laughs> right. so that you can you know retire the way that you want to. Great. Are you in need of quality food handler training and certification? Orla is one of the largest and first providers of online food handler training in Oregon. Approved by the state, Orla's food handler training is quick and simple to complete, with online courses available 24-7. Training and certification costs only $9, and the card is valid statewide for three years. Get started today at OregonFoodHandler.com. What are you guys doing to, how are you working to simpl simplify employer requirements? Yeah, this is something we think about every day. And again, that's part of what I try to do in, in my specific job is to look at what are we asking the employers to do and how can we do it in a way that best aligns with what they're already doing. So we're not there 100% yet. I can tell you that for sure. And I really appreciate all the employers that have been patient <laughs> with us that have told me very brutally, honestly, when we haven't done things well, because that, that helps us prioritize and figure out how to simplify and make it better. So in the beginning, we actually did a lot of thinking about this, and we're trying to minimize the employer role. There's some things we just can't do, and we need the employer to do. And so one is we don't know who the employees are, so we need to have employee information. 
we can't do the payroll deduction. So there's these basic things that the employer has to do in order to facilitate the program. But we don't really want them doing much more than that. They're, we want them concentrating on their business, right? So an, an example of what we did in the very beginning is is originally we had the idea that maybe the employer is the one to provide the information about the program. We provide the employer with the materials and the employer is responsible for handing them out because they probably know the best way to reach their employees. But then we decided, hey, you know, that's a lot of work for them to go chase down everybody, hand them their piece of paper and try to explain this thing, which they may not understand or have the time to do any of that. So that's when we decided that we would be the ones to notify employees that you give us the information, we'll do the outreach. We'll send the notices. If we get that bounce back email, we'll default to, you know, uh, physical mail and and we'll take on that role so that the employer doesn't have to, so that the employer can just provide us with the info, we send the notice, and then the employer gets to see at the end who's participating and who's not. Again, we're trying to limit that role. Um, there's going to be bumps as we develop things. So, you know, you provide us your employee information through an Excel spreadsheet. And and like any Excel spreadsheet, it can be hard to make sure you're getting the formatting correct. So we've been looking at what what's the minimum amount of information that we need on employees and then what's the formats that we can use that you're not, you're not going to get a ton of errors when you try to upload your spreadsheet. So these are the little details that we're working on that if we can get them right, it saves people a lot of time and effort. And and that's going to be a process that's going to take time. But already we've made huge changes between when um, we did our first pilot and now. For our pilots, I sat down with each employer and went through the process with them literally taking notes on a notepad and, and troubleshooting as we went because we wanted to see what it was like. We designed a, a system, but we hadn't really tested it with actual folks. And that's what we wanted to see. How does it work in in the in the business, in the office? Um, we had a um, preschool where in the middle of setting up the, the employer on the system, all the kids woke up from their naps. So <laughs> <laughs> we had to take an hour break <laughs> in between. But you know that that's what we wanted to see is in a real life scenario what happens we had uh, a lumber company where you know they were constantly having sales calls and everybody in the office has to answer it even the bookkeepers so in the middle of setting up stop answer some customer questions and get right back to it so that was really important for us to see and to figure out you know what can we do to make it a little bit easier to take less time um there is it is a little bit intensive in the beginning because you have to get up and running um and we're looking at that's that's the biggest ask we have of employers right now, and that's where we're doing the most work to try to figure out how we can reduce that work. And in the long run, it's not as much work because most of your employees have already gone through the system. Um, you're just really doing payroll deductions every pay period. Uh, one of our first employers, Alma Chocolate in uh, Portland, the bookkeeper there says, you know, it takes me five minutes to do this every pay period, which is what we want to hear, right? It's just it's very simple for her to do. And then uh, the other ongoing thing is to adding those new employees as they come in, you know, one at a time or in bulk. You know, if you have 50 come in in a week, you, you upload them all together all at once. And so we want to make it easy in both cases. The startup is going to be more work, but that's once. And and hopefully this program's around forever. And so no, no one has to go through that except this one time. And the good news is that we're here to help folks. Um, 
also in, in addition to asking everybody how did it go every time an employer joins, I actually send them a personal email myself just to say, hey, if you need help, we're here. Um, we have two field reps, and, and we actually encourage people to sit down with them. You can go it alone and, and do it, and there's some folks that are really proficient at that and get through each step, and they're like, no, that was no problem. I'm like, well, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, then there, and then there's the rest of us, right, who, who need help understanding things. It'll go better and easier if we at least have a conversation to start. And so that's what we try to encourage is just reach out to us, have, a, have that conversation ahead of time. We'll talk through what you're worried about and and what you can foresee as an issue, and we'll try to come up with a solution. You know, even if we don't have the automated solution in the system, um, we'll come up with one that's that's a workaround in the meantime. So a good example of that actually is um, one of our fast food restaurants in Central Oregon mentioned that you know our our spreadsheet to upload employees asks for physical address, and most of their employees can't receive mail at their physical address because in certain parts of central Oregon, the mailman doesn't go there, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Need those PO boxes. So until we could add that functionality in for them, what we did is we, we just had them give us the list of PO boxes and we did it manually. We sent out those people, uh, their notices, um, on our own. Again, it's, well, we can find a solution. We can, we can make it work and we want this to be a, a partnership where you don't have to feel it's it's just one way. We're here to learn from you, and we're here to figure out the solution. Because if if you're having an issue, more folks are going to have the issue as we move on. So we're looking for those long term solutions and improvements, and and we're trying to prioritize them and do them as quickly as we we can. Yeah. So related to that, I guess uh, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, Oregon businesses have had to deal with a lot new rules and regulations. We've got minimum wage increases happening, you know, every July. We've got paid sick leave now, uh, scheduling law that just passed last year, and uh, we're looking at probably paid family leave in the next year or two as well. So this is one more piece of that puzzle that businesses are dealing with. There's a lot that's come down recently. I noticed that you have a one percent administration fee. It's a user-based fee for Oregon Saves, and it's split between the state and the administrative, the, the program administrator. And although, you know, you're saying it's five minutes a month for the one bookkeeper, some people are paying a payroll uh, service to do this for them. So that there's an added actual cost to that. It, looking ahead, is there any um, discussion about um, I guess, reimbursing businesses for the time they spend on this? Or is there some sort of financial uh, remuneration that might happen for the employers who are participating in Oregon Saves to help offset those costs that they're incurring? Yeah, we, we've uh, discussed this internally. Um, there hasn't been anything formal put out there. Some states, so Oregon is just one of, I don't know, 30 states that are doing something in this area. There's five states in total that have a model similar to Oregon's. Um, California, Illinois, Connecticut, and I'm missing one or two there. But each of them has is slightly differently um, designed. Some states do offer uh, some sort of um, compensation, so say money off of their registration, um, et cetera. Oregon's law didn't include anything like that, so that's something that we would have to pursue in some other way, probably through the legislative process. Mm-hmm. There are tweaks like that that we're trying to look at and and consider bringing forward. Um, there's nothing on the table right now, but you know that's that's a 
big consideration. It was one of the first things I asked when I came to work for Treasury uh, on this program. I was like, how can we make it? You know, how can we help make employers whole? The what we can do right now is exactly what I was talking about before, which is try to minimize what we're asking of employers as much as possible. And again, it's going to improve over time. So hopefully by the time that we get to those smallest employers where it's harder, you have maybe one person wearing multiple hats, right? that it's as easy as possible for them as possible. That's why we actually started with the large employers. We figured those folks have an HR person. They have a payroll person. They're probably more familiar with doing these sort of benefits. So we're working our way down from there. And the good news is, again, is that we have folks who can help you get through the process. Because again, what we can do right now is try to minimize the ask because we know that employers have been asked a lot and especially in the last few years. Great. Yeah, you've already mentioned so many resources available and just very hands-on help um, going through this process. Uh, is there anything else that is available? What's the website called, actually? Could you remind sure. us? It's just organsaves.com. You can also go to organsaves.gov in, le- in case you're just worried that it's not really the right site. <laughs> it's um, not spam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So on on the website, we have numerous resources. Um, you know, we have, as you mentioned, videos. We have one-pagers. We have uh, all the materials that you'll need as an employer for your employees. We have the handbook that explains in detail how you do each step of the process. And again, that's a resource that we're continually updating as we hear questions from employers and need to add more information. But more importantly, there's the our call center, which is available from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday. They're folks that are dedicated to the program. So you're not just getting somebody in a call center that handles like five different programs in different states. These are, these are just folks for Oregon Saves. They've had plenty of uh, experience now over the last few months taking calls, hearing what people are talking about. Um, my big interest is making sure that everything we're doing, we're constantly reviewing. So after every call, there's a chance to take a survey and to say how, how you were served and, and if it met your needs. And I review all of that information every month. We go through it. And and if there's an issue where a call center employee isn't providing good enough information, we do some training. We, we make sure that they are. So we're, we're trying to always improve ourselves that way. Those folks can help you with anything from just answering general questions to actually doing things for you, whether you're employer or employee, with your account or the portal. Then we have our two field reps who are here in the state. They um, already have 100 uh, events scheduled this year, and that's in every part of the state, and we're doing that on purpose so that we're in somebody's neighborhood at some point, and we'll be talking at your local chamber, we'll be talking at your local event, and in the meantime, we'll also be reaching out to the facilitating employers in that area to see if we can stop by, answer questions, just see how things are going because we want there to we want to build a relationship with folks. So again, it's not just a one-time thing. This is something that employers feel like we're we're always there for folks. And then and then at the state, there's only two of us. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> small team. Uh, there's the executive director and myself. And really, my purview is working with stakeholders, with employers, trying to figure out how to make sure that everybody's kept in the loop and that we just keep this going and build that partnership. So folks can always reach out to me as well directly, and I'm always happy 
to answer questions, to help with issues, and and to to really be the the sounding board for everybody and make sure that you know the developers who are developing the website hear what's happening, you know, actually in the workplace, so that there's that direct line of communication because that's what's so important. We need to make sure that everybody has a chance to take a little bit of ownership of the program. So it's not just this thing that the state's doing. It's this thing we're doing together to reach that end goal. So um, I I think it's really important that people use our resources um, and that when you have a good experience or a bad one, you, you share it with us because that's so important to what we're trying to do. Is there a calendar of uh, where the field reps will be headed next, or is that kind of ongoing? <laughs> yeah, we don't have an external calendar for it yet because it's mostly events that, you know, we say come join us, but it's the Rotary Club, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, we're not really doing events of our own, uh, mostly because we find that, you know, it's hard to get people to come and just talk about retirement savings, <laughs> right? Right. But on board. <laughs> if, you're, if you're having an event about something else and you want us to come talk, we're, we're there. Um, I would just encourage anyone who wants us to come talk to them to, to reach out to us. We actually have a page on the website that talks about the field team on the employer website. You know, it has Ted and Deanna's pictures and their emails. You can email them directly and say, hey, can you come out and talk to us? Because we, we don't just talk to these groups. We, we do employer sessions where we just sit down one-on-one with the employer and their staff and and talk about how it works and troubleshoot things. And then we have employee education sessions where, you know, we'll just go and, and give a talk to employees and we, we do those in person. I, I've done one where we had a nonprofit in Salem that's centered in Salem, but they have offices throughout uh, Western Oregon. And so we did it in person in their office, but then it was webcast to all their other locations. And I have no idea, idea how many people actually attended because I couldn't see them. Right. But it was great because it was probably around 100 people that were able to access us either right then or by watching the recording later. And we think that that really helps people. Um, it's a chance for them to ask us questions. And then it's a chance for us to give what you've just heard, right, is, is explain why are we doing this, what it does, and what our hope is in the future. Um, so if people want to talk to us at any point or have us come talk with them, please let us know. Great. So one of the things I was curious about is, uh, there's been some talk lately about portable benefits for employees, you know, as, as the gig economy is heating up, as people want to be able to take those benefits from one job to the next, uh, in essence, I mean, this is kind of a portable benefit because if you move from one employer to another, you still have this account, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, you still are going to have access to. Is that going to be easier uh, for employers who hire somebody who's already been on the Oregon Saves program because they're already in the system and there isn't as much setup, or is there still going to be some initial work that's going to have to be done to get them signed up again to the program? How's that going to work? The, the good news is there's one account that follows you throughout your career, so you don't have to worry about what normally happens is you have these little orphan accounts wherever you go, right? So there's just one account. You would get enrolled through your employer if you move to another Oregon Saves employer the same way. They just enter you in the system. We match it up behind the scenes so the employer doesn't have to match it and find the account. And then you get the same decision again. Do you want to participate or not? Do you want to continue at the rate you were doing before or do you want to do something else? And that's important too because you can have one account and work at multiple employers at the same time as you mentioned a lot of in the gig economy you may have multiple jobs at the same time 
And so being able to decide even, you know, I'm going to contribute through this employer, but not this one. This is just my side gig. I just want that cash for whatever reason. So you could choose even to just do one employer and not the other. Mm. Um, there isn't a lot of administration that you need to do as an employer to do this. You just treat everybody the same, enter them in, get them started. The The good news is that it is an IRA. It goes with you. Even if you move out of state, still can keep it. Move out of country, you can still keep it. Do with it as you want. Um, in the end, you know the vast majority of employers in this state will end up facilitating Oregon Save. So that means most employers are going to have this available. So for many employees moving from, you know, one employer to the next, there's a continuity at least in your retirement savings, and that's particularly important in something like the restaurant business where folks move around quite a bit. So, Joel, any final thoughts, anything that we haven't asked you about that you'd <clears throat> like our listeners to know about? Sure. I, I would mention a couple of things. Um, one is the the fee that you mentioned is 1% of assets under management. So that's important for people to know. And right now, that's what it is because uh, the state and its partners have, have put up you know, upfront costs that need to be paid down over time. And eventually we'll have enough assets under management that will break even and then start actually increasing the amount of money that the plan is making so we can start driving down the cost because this isn't a money maker for the state. The state doesn't get any. Our our <laughs> percentage of it is five basis points, which is you know not even close to a percent. It's closer to zero percent than it is to one percent, right? Yeah. So we're not we're not making money out of this. We just want to, to cover our costs in the long run. And once we start doing that, we'll start lowering that fee and, and giving those savings back to employees. It's just going to take a few years to do that because sure. we had to develop a, a brand new system, right? This is not entirely new. People can save for retirement. Their IRAs already exist, but we needed to create a way for employers to interact, you know, set up a, that portal, do all of that upfront work that costs money, and as that gets paid back, then we'll pass on the savings to employees. And and what needs to be clear about the 1% fee is that it's all in. This isn't in addition to other fees you may have. There's no other fees. It's just the 1%. So it includes that tiny percentage that's going to the state. It includes for a census, our program administrator, all the work they're doing, you know, the website development, the call center, all of their costs on their end. And it's covering the cost of the investments themselves. So right now we have three investment uh, types available. They're through State Street Global Advisors. They each have their fee, right? Well, that's baked into the 1%. So there's no additional investment fee on top of this 1%. It's just 1%. Gotcha. And that's we've we've had trouble trying to explain that to folks because that's not how fees are normally presented. They tell you what part of the fee. They'll say, here's what the investment fee is and not tell you about all the other fees <laughs> on top of that. So it sounds like a great deal. We're trying to be upfront. And sometimes that's confusing for folks because we're like, no, it's literally just 1%. And we want to make it go down over time because we want people to get the benefit of this. And, you know, if they're making, um, you know, 6% in interest, they're really only making five after the fee. And if we can get them closer to that actual 6%, that's great because that means, again, compounding interest, their, their money's earning money and going to work for them. So that's important to, to know. And then the very last thing that I would say is that um, of the 1 million people who are eligible, about 600,000 of those work for an employer that doesn't offer a retirement plan. Uh, 
200,000 of those are in that second category I mentioned, which is they work for an employer, but they're not eligible for their employer's plan. And then the last 200,000, those are folks that are self-employed. Really, you know, you're talking about the gig economy, the 1099 workers. There's no employer to facilitate for them in this case, um, but we want to make it so that this plan is for them as well. So what we're starting at the end of this year, and, and maybe a little earlier if possible, is creating an opt-out version or no, opt-out opt-in version of the program that's available to the self-employed starting at the end of this year, where anyone can come on if you're eligible for a Roth IRA, sign up, uh, have an account, set it up to your bank account so that you could just automatically contribute every month. And I think that'll be an important piece of the puzzle to help make sure that we're serving the full population that doesn't have us available through work right now. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to take another break and we'll come back with Advocacy Watch right after that. Get your staff trained and certified for serving alcohol by Oregon's highest quality training provider for the hospitality industry. Orla provides easy to follow interactive online training that is valid statewide for five years. Employees can get the state mandated alcohol server training they need on their schedule. And now for only $18, go to OregonAlcoholServer.com today. Welcome back to Boiled Down, podcast for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. This is Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs. And joining me now for a special advocacy watch is Bill Perry with Balance Point Strategies and Orla's chief lobbyist. Bill, it was a short session, actually shorter than normal, because even with a 28-day session, they shortened it by, or excuse me, with a 35-day session, they shortened it by eight days, Mm -hmm. but they still managed to get a couple of laws passed, including a couple that were important to our industry. Do you want to talk about those? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Greg. And uh, I would say uh, Orlo only introduced two bills in the short session, which is actually pretty good since most legislators are only given one bill. So obviously we've uh, got a lot passed from that vantage point when you look at a percentage. One of them is deals with music licensing. Uh, Anybody that's ever had to deal with ASCAP, BMI or whatever, I probably had a frustrating experience We can't really do a lot to limit the fees because that's federal law. But what we did was kind of create a code of conduct. So all these or all these sales reps have to be licensed, uh, and there's a code of conduct. So for some reason, if they disrupt your business or they're, for lack of a better term, obnoxious, uh, we now have an avenue to deal with it. So uh, I think that'll be helpful to the industry because it's one of the issues I seem to hear about a year over the years is having to deal with the music licensing agents. That that was a good bipartisan bill for us, too. I know it passed out of the uh, House Business and Labor Committee and then was carried on the floor uh, by new state representative Denise Bowles, uh, passed 59 to nothing with one excused vote on the House. And then on the Senate side, uh, State Senator Rod Monroe carried the bill for us and it passed 29 to nothing with one excused. So uh, good bipartisan policy there for us. Yeah, a lot of the time the music agents come in fighting it and they realize that they're not very well liked because there's a lot of different people in both parties that are uh, retail uh, businesses and they've had to deal with these guys in the past. And so they uh, they realized they were fighting an uphill battle and so they tried to reach a compromise with us fairly quickly. And that was a, a unique bill too because uh, we worked in partnership with the Oregon Wine Growers as well as BMI, one of the major companies that does music licensing. So it was a good collaborative effort. Yeah, both BMI and ASCAP came to the table uh, together once they realized that it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Great. So good news for uh, both our restaurant and hotel members. Uh, the other bill was more relating to uh, our, our um, hotel industry, 
Yes. Uh, so obviously, you know, the short term rentals play an important part in the tourism industry, but they haven't always, uh, usually if you go through your local real estate agent, they've been very good about paying the taxes and doing a lot of the other stuff at the local level. But now that there's this online platforms of Airbnb and VRBO, which don't have a connection to the community, a lot of times they've been avoiding paying the lodging taxes. And so this basically just clarifies what we believe to be true. They should have been paying the lodging taxes all along, but make sure that anybody that uses one of these online platforms is paying the lodging tax. So this was, a, I think, a big win, not only for fairness in the industry, but it'll collect a lot more tourism promotion dollars uh, at the local level. So it's, I think, a big win for the industry. And again, uh, a good bipartisan bill. It uh, passed through the House on a 52 to 8 vote. And in the Senate, 26 to one with three excused. So, I mean, it was it was a good bill for us. Um, and it was another bill where we worked with some partners that maybe we haven't traditionally worked with, uh, the Oregon uh, League of Oregon Cities uh, being one of those and the uh, League Associ- of, yeah, Association of Oregon, Oregon counties. counties. So, yeah, it's uh, there's been a few times that we've worked together and it's uh, it's been very successful partnership, but uh Seems like every once in a while they want to fight over whether or not we should be spending a portion of those dollars towards tourism at a local level. Uh, they want to spend more on general fund, and that's just not good for not only our industry, but I would say economic development across the state. So a couple of key wins, which is great. Uh, we also had some movement around the Cascades campus for OSU over in Bend. Yeah, I was going to say that we worked uh, for bonding on Cascades campus, and I think why this is important to the industry is obviously uh, Oregon State and a few when when I went to college, which was eons ago, <laughs> we had hospitality programs, but the only major university that's got a hospitality program in the Northwest, a four-year program, uh, has been um, Washington State. And so even though you see a lot of programs at, at community college level and we've got the pro start, it's nice to basically build a, basically a, a soup to nuts for an industry term so we can get some of these people in the hospitality industry to keep going all the way through their educational career uh, in in Oregon schools. Fantastic. And then finally, uh, something that uh, I think is going to be useful to our members in the Portland area, there was a bill on um, uh, homeless shelter. Yeah, there's um, obviously the homeless problem is in Portland. and It's starting to grow outside the state. And so uh, Portland, Multnomah County, they have a homeless shelter that's a no turnaway shelter for families. And when once they classified it as a no turnaway shelter, obviously the population grew. Only 45% of it came from the Portland area, but they were packed to the gills. And so there was a, a bill or a funding request in by the governor to basically try to make sure that these homeless shelters didn't run out of revenue. So it was $5 million dollars. Two and a half million for the Portland area, and then about five hundred thousand to Lane County and others. Uh, we were supportive of it, and it, it got included. So hopefully, we can uh, try to find avenues for some of these homeless people that are out on the street today. So overall, a very successful session for Orla and our industry. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. You know, I think the short sessions. I'm not really sold on them uh, completely. But when you look at last short session, when they used the ballot measure system to leverage minimum wage and some of the bigger issues, that was a brutal session, I think, for business in general. This, you know, they kind of just did a little bit more cleanup, which I think was successful for our industry. But I'm still not sold that the the short sessions are are kind of good for for Oregon yet, but that's, that's a personal opinion on my part. (laughs) Well, we'll just have to see how they, how they continue to operate Mm -hmm. in the short session. 
Uh, looking ahead to 2019, I'm going to ask you to uh, check your crystal ball and tell us what you think might be on the docket that would be of interest to the hospitality industry. Well, I still think that people are going to go after the tax issue and, and how that's always a, just a chance of how they cut it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you've got a huge unfunded liability by PERS and you know, I think they're going to try to take it out of the backs of businesses. And usually when you've got a egg that big, you're trying to crack and try to take it out of a select audience. It's just too big of a bite of an apple. I mean, they're going to have to, if they want to look at a tax increase, uh, they're going to have to probably spread it over more payers. And then you, you run into the issue where, you know, they don't want to charge citizens, but it's just, it's not a feasible uh it's not a feasible process unless you try to spread it uh, thinner across more because if if you just do businesses, the bigger corporations are going to find a way to move the their revenues outside the state so they don't have to pay it. It's going to be shouldered by small businesses, and that's a, a big nut to crack for a small business. And then how about paid family leave in the 2019 session? Uh, paid family leave is, uh, yeah, it's going to be an issue. Um I do think right now that there's an avenue to where it becomes a employee-based system since it's a portable benefit, meaning the employees get to take it with them no matter where. Um, it also avoids the issue of having the legislature having to fund the new program at the county level. Um, but it, it's going to be a debate, and so it, the two sticking points are who pays it and uh, how far and wide uh, do you apply the benefit, meaning your second cousin twice removed? You haven't seen them in six years, but you gotta, you can pay them to do paid family leave. That's where the system starts to get abused and where it starts to get really expensive. But if you're just talking about a benefit to where you know it's somebody that lives in your same household and a direct family member, it's probably more manageable. And so, who pays it and how far is wide is the benefit? That's going to be the discussion, and and uh, you know we'll have to see if we can stop it or if it's something we can live with. And I know there's a work group already uh, that's being put together to to discuss the issue. So we're yep. we're trying to stay ahead of that. So great. Anything else that uh, you want to share with the audience on legislative? Uh, nope, not that I could think of. It's uh, you know, we're just going to have to see how the elections play out. But if the margins get bigger, uh, one party having too many people, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, is not usually good from a public policy standpoint. And so uh, the Democrats are a few votes away from a supermajority in that. Uh, that I don't think bodes well for anybody because I think the margins being closer uh, encourages collaboration and cooperation from my perspective. Sure. No, I know we've had a session a few years back where it was split 30-30 in the House and 15-15 in the Senate. It seems like that was probably the best session for policy and collaboration in, in recent history. It was definitely the best policy or best sessions for Orla. We've got the most legislation passed because our members tend to understand collaboration, I think, a lot more than some some of the other business groups. Great. Well, Bill Perry, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Chief Lobbyist for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. As always, great work down at the Capitol for us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. And as always, please keep the emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org. Uh, let us know not only your government affairs questions, but also your opinions and what's going on in your area. As always, uh, you are the best source of information that we have about local issues and what's happening in your community. I'd like to say thank you again to Joel Metlin from Oregon Saves and to Sarah Shank uh, for, from the Orla team for joining me today. I am your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla, and thanks for listening.